All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Good morning. Great song. All the people said, amen. We're we're all in search of, of God's great love in our lives. We all need God's love and we're all a mess. And so because of Jesus, we have the ability to say, so be it. It is done. It is finished. And in him, we are complete. What a, what a great presentation. Thank you for, your, for the story about Hamilton Elementary School. Officer Kay, Miss Kay, Robert, wherever you are, uh, the giant, there you are at the end there, the gentle giant among us. Uh, what a great, great ministry. Well, we, we continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at that before we have the Father talk to us as we read his word. Let's talk to him. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Our great God, what a joy to be in your presence. What a, what a, a great opportunity to sing and, and to remember, Jesus, that you have paid it all. You have accomplished it all for us. And so as we come into this place today, we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, we, we need your guidance. We, Father, we need a father. We need a savior. We need a father to guide us, to lead us and guide us in the way we should go to counsel us with your eye upon us. So we pray that as we look into your word this morning, you would do just that. We pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Speak to us. We pray in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I got to say, you didn't sound like people who have had somebody steal an hour of sleep from you. How many of you feel a little bit tired today? Anybody? You didn't act like it. That's great. That's wonderful. My friend uh, Glenn uh, said today, he said, well, you're going to give us something good? I said, I'm going to try. You know, but I had, I had to run on coffee and Jesus this morning. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that, well, most days, I guess. But what a privilege to be able to look into God's word. And uh, as we look into God's word in the book of Ephesians, I just want to remind you, we're, we've moved into the second half of the book. And the first half of the book is the what, the what of the gospel. What has Jesus done for us? And as we move into the second part of the book, we move into the so what. Uh, so what? The gospel is broken into our lives. Now what difference does it make? And it's a powerful passage. You know, uh, sort of at the hinge uh, of the book, just before that hinge prayer, the apostle said, we are his what? You remember? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, 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 the, and the red bag ministry is part of the good works. Some of you are involved in ministry, teaching financial planning to people who never have learned that. Uh, you're doing other ministries around, and, and the good works that have been prepared beforehand are how the gospel breaks out through us. But also, as we get into this part of the, of the, of, of the letter of the Ephesians, we see how the gospel is to break out in our character. And so that's what we're going to be looking at as we move into this section today, and uh, if you remember last week, uh, we, we, our sermon was titled Deliberate Discipleship. Deliberate Discipleship. And Paul taught in the first part of chapter 4 how the gospel breaks into us and then we're to put aside the old man and put on the new man, right? So there's, and, and so that was deliberate discipleship in a very general sense. Today we get specific as my Episcopalian pastor friend said when he spoke at our ministry the other day, he said, Jesus is going to mess with us. That didn't sound very Episcopalian, but it is true. 
that when we get into this section, and before I read it, I want to warn you that he's got something for everybody, me included, all of us, and it's good, he's going to go detail by detail through it. And so before I read the text, I want to say, get ready and, and, and maybe throw up a quick prayer because, um, because a text like this has so much in it that you can't possibly walk away with all of it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to, as you listen, as you hear with sanctified ears, in a sense, what I read, I want you to be able to think, uh, see that, look, look for that blink, red blinking light on your dashboard. What is God saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you in particular? Because there's no way that any of us can take all of this. So here it is, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. I think, we, I think uh, Joe, we get to go till what, two, two o'clock today to unpack this? No, no, okay, I'm gonna get you out of here on time. Here we go, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, the apostle Paul says, therefore is the therefore referring back to put off the old man, put on the new man, deliberate discipleship in the general sense. Now he's getting specific. He says, therefore, Laying aside falsehood, that's the first topic he's talking about. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you all along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a powerful text this is. What, wasn't I right? There's a lot there, isn't it? A lot of specifics. Did any red blinking lights go off in your life, uh, in your mind? Okay, this might be for me. Um, uh, well, that's how we're going to we're gonna look at this. We're just going to go through it. But this is discipleship. This is deliberate discipleship. Once the gospel breaks in to our lives, then we begin to see how the Father messes with our life for the good, for the better. How he wants to bring us into the image of Christ, right? Christ like we're Christians. We're little Christs uh, now that we're in Christ by faith. And as we get into this, this is a section that could be seen as a moralism section. And, and what often happens as Christians, as evangelicals, is we want to be like Jesus, right? Once you come to faith in Christ, not one of us says, you know, I want to, I want to still act like a pagan. No, we want to be like Jesus. But often, we pastors are the, a problem. Um, some of you have been wanting to tell us this, but the problem is, is that we so emphasize these principles of what to do now that you've come to faith in Christ, that, that our Christianity can seem kind of moralistic. You're a good Christian, you're a, a saved Christian if, what? These fruits are in your life. 
Does anybody have all these fruits in their life? Don't raise your hand. If you do, I desperately want to see you afterwards. We're going to start a ministry. We're going to write a book and we're going to, we're going to save the world. None of us has this fully. But I want to warn us as we look at these these teachings to remember that we've got to look at what we're supposed to be in light of who we are now in Christ. Do you get that? You see, because grace always precedes change. We don't do good works, so God accepts us. God accepts us in Christ, and then we do good works, right? Right? Right. And that's the way it's got to be. Otherwise, some of us are going to feel very bad about who we are right now as we look at this text. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to see where is Jesus in a positive way, messing with your life, bringing you and me into conformity with him. I want you to know one thing is I don't grow quickly. I've learned that. I don't change quick. I get head knowledge a lot faster than I get life transformation. I mean, I can memorize stuff. I can, you know, I love systematic theology. Give it to me. I love it. But it's the transformation that takes forever. I saw a cartoon the other day. A lady said, uh, sometimes it amazes me all of the wonderful things I do. And then she said in the next line, and then I try to get out of my car with my seatbelt on. And I, I, that happened to me the other day. I, was, I finished teaching a Bible study. I go, man, that was good. God, you showed up. I tried to get out of my truck with my seatbelt on. Yeah, life is a mess. I'm a mess at times. And, and you know, the reality is discipleship is a squishy process. Three steps forward, two steps backwards. But these are some of the key areas where we all need to grow. And it's a misteaching to just say, if I just mention the name Jesus, you'll be transformed. That sounds like heresy, doesn't it? Actually, it sounds like magic when my friends say to me, if I just talk about Jesus, people are going to be transformed. No. What do you bring to your salvation? The only thing you bring to your salvation is your sin. What do we bring to our sanctification, our growth in Christ? Ah, we get to be a part of that process, don't we? That's a wonderful process, that deliberate, intentional, getting involved in ministries, getting involved in growth. Uh, and this is what grace does. Grace motivates growth. All right, let's talk. Here we go. You ready? Let's, the first thing he says as we talk about deliberate discipleship is the issue of truth in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is a quote from Zechariah eight sixteen. Sounds almost exactly like it. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Just as the Israelites had a covenantal, uh, you know, this, this, this vertical relationship with God as individuals and as a people, they had a horizontal relationship with one another in the covenant community, right? Same thing is true with us in the body of Christ. We have this kind of a relationship personally with God, where we stand as his daughters and sons, but we've got this horizontal relationship with one another. Look around you, whether you like it or not, we're in the same family. That's the way it is. And, and if you're not a believer, we're glad you're here today. If you're just checking out Christians, we're not perfect, but um, we're on the grow. We're we're glad you're here, but this is stuff that really takes place within the body of Christ. 
Uh, and, and so he's talking about speaking truth to one another in the body of Christ. Is truth important in building relationships? Are you kidding me? That's where trust is, right? If I'm lying to you all the time, we're not going to have a trusting relationship in marriage. If you're not speaking truth, if you, if you doubt the person you're married to is telling you the truth, you're not going to be close. You're going to keep separated in the body of Christ. Uh, we, we, we need to speak the truth to each other, but we need to speak it in love. And the logic here is impeccable, isn't it? We've been saved out of darkness and untruth into the world of truth. And so therefore we should be truthful to one another as, as we speak to one another. And sometimes that really talks about the real issues. Have you ever come to church and sat on the other side of the gym, uh, the worship center, the wedding chapel? Um, because there was somebody you really didn't want to talk to because you don't like them. That happens in churches. Could be me. I mean, I'm not coming up here because I don't like you. All right. But we've got to speak the truth to each other at times to work out our relationships, don't we? I met with a guy who was, oh, I don't know how old you, yesterday. He said, you know, I'm just now beginning to unpack my family story. My family never said anything significant. We covered up everything. We didn't deal with anything. And, and his mother's about ready to meet Jesus. And he's, he's so frustrated because there's no trust. There's no depth. And so truth is important to us in the body of Christ. And we've, we've got to have that. We've got to have that with our kids. We've, we, we've got to be developed. And that's why the town hall meetings are so helpful, aren't they? So we can speak the truth. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'd like to see in the church. I'm glad you guys are bringing those, those things up and, uh, and that you're there. As the Holy Spirit begins to bring grace into our lives, we can speak truth in a way that's acceptable to one another without being jerks or overly harsh. And as grace works on us, we become truth receivers. In other words, when somebody says something difficult to us, we can say, huh, I'll pray about it. I'll think about it. Instead of saying something like, hmm, you're a Neanderthal, get out of my life. So we got to speak truth to one another and how important it is. And I think that what happens is that when we practice it here, when we practice speaking the truth lovingly to one another, then it gets out there. Then we can do that out there. We can be people of the truth who tell the truth, who speak the truth, but do it in loving ways and acceptable ways. We never overpromise or underdeliver. We don't say yes when we really can't do something. We can speak the truth and say, I, I'm just overloaded right now. We become people who build deeper relationships with one another. And so that might be it. Maybe the blinking red light went off for you on the true subject, that your family system that you grew up in never told the truth. You have a hard time telling the truth. If that's true, Maybe you ask the Holy Spirit to help you in the truth area today, speaking the truth in love. All right, then the second thing he talks about is that deliberate discipleship not only deals with truth, making us people more of truth, but it also deals with our anger and resentment. Oh, this is the big one, verses 26 through 27. Be angry. 
Some of you were angry this morning when the alarm went off. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. <laughs> this is so great. Why? This is a, such an important one. All right. All right. Can we have a little honesty here? How many of you have been angry in the last 24 hours about something? Raise your hand. How many of you are lying about that? Some of you are more toxic than others, okay? Some of us are more toxic than others. I got, I got that. Some of us are higher stress than others. I get that. Some of you are just really nice people. And, and I love that. That's great. You're great to have around, especially people like... But, but what he talks about is he says, be angry and yet do not sin. In other words, he says that anger is not necessarily 100% Wrong, And I'm going to read to you uh, something in just a minute about when it's important. But the kind of anger that is bad in relationships in the body of Christ is toxic, selfish, self-absorbed kind of anger. Or anger that comes from being self-absorbed. That's what he's talking about. And, and the reality is we don't grow spiritually unless we know what's motivating us from the inside out. And I, let me, I'll tell you one thing. If you had a, a dysfunctional family system where you were raised and you didn't even put the fun in dysfunctional, I want you to know you're probably an angry person. Anger begets anger. Anger, anger unless it's dealt with, is repressed, pushed down sealed over, and yet it oozes out in so many ways. You ever been with somebody and said, man, that, that was, that's an angry dude. That's an angry lady right there. And not just because I ran into her car. Um, <clears throat> There's all kinds of anger out there. Uh, and yet what I want us to understand is the gospel at this point is so important, isn't it? To deal with our anger. In Christ, is God angry at you? Answer, no. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not angry at you. And so many people are angry at God still for what he's allowed to happen in their lives. And if you are, I encourage you to pour that out sometime today. Get alone with the Father and say, you know, really, I'm angry at you because of the illness, because of what happened to my kids or what you let happen to me. Or A lot of people are angry that way childhood or whatever. And we don't process that. But God is not angry at us. The most important person in the universe is not angry at you. And that ought to let you breathe a big sigh of relief and rest in the peace and the joy. And so we can come before him and pour out our anger. Toxic anger is directly related to selfishness. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, there's a sinful anger. Uh, and, and then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. How, how many of, we, uh, of us have read this and said, uh, when we got married, we said, all right. When we had a problem in our marriage, we said, all right, honey, says right there in Ephesians, you know, sun cannot go down our anger. Process it right now. Let's get over this. Let's move on. I can't, I never forget saying that the first time in my marriage because I'm a, I'm a quick processor. Okay. I'm over it. <laughs> I made you upset. What did I do? Tell me. I'm sorry. All right. Get over it. Well, my wife wasn't that way. <laughs> and she had to say, Pete, 
let me process this. Process. Just deal with it. Just accept my, my apology and move up. Get your emotions well set again. It doesn't happen that way, does it? It only took me about 20 years of marriage to figure that out. But the reality is, is that we have to understand the reality that some people process different. So what I think Paul is saying here is don't let your anger be on that slow burn. Deal with it. Process it. Enter into it. Don't repress it. Don't be the kind of person that says, I'm not angry. Yeah, you're anger, angry. I can tell you're angry. I can tell it by everything about you. So process your anger. It means you got to give a little bit of time to process it. Um, uh, that's fine. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, deal with it. Don't be a Christian who never processes your anger. Now, there's some things to be angry about, right? Would you agree with me on that? We're not sure because we think Christians are all nice, wonderful, sweet people all the time. And uh, that's not my, my Lord. Jesus Christ was not that way. William Barclay said there would be something essentially missing in a man who had lost the faculty of being angry. There's such a thing as holy anger. And that motivates mission. Uh, that's what motivated William Wilberforce in going against slavery in England. Uh, here in America, fighting against that, that horrible practice. We ought to be angry about what's going on in the, in the, the unborn movement in our life, in our country right now. It's going on in Virginia. You've heard me talk about it a couple of times. Where we're, where we're thinking about abortion of those who are about, babies about ready to be born. That's infanticide. We ought to be angry about it. This makes me angry. Dear Ann Landers. A year ago, our two-year-old son, Earl, had difficulty breathing, so we took him to a doctor. We learned Earl is allergic to cigarette smoke. My husband said we both had to quit smoking right then and there. He hasn't touched a cigarette since. I went back to smoking that same night. I don't smoke when little Earl is in the room, and it's awfully hard on me. My husband doesn't know I smoke, so I make excuses to go to the basement or out to the garage whenever I want a cigarette. Sneaking around is making me nervous. Do you think it would be wrong if we let a nice couple adopt little Earl, a nice couple who don't smoke? Then I could smoke in the open and my husband could take it up again too. The only problem is that my husband is crazy about the boy. I love him too, but I'm the more practical type. What do you think, Mrs. E-R-M? Anne's response to Mrs. E-R-M. I think a lot of people who read this letter are going to say, I made it up. It's utterly fantastic that a mother would put cigarettes ahead of her own child. Don't present your wild idea to your husband. I wouldn't blame him if he decided to keep little Earl and unload you. (laughs) Be angry, but do not sin. Doesn't that tell us about the kind of uh, uh, what we ought to do to process our anger and to differentiate the anger that we have? So deliberate disciple, maybe that's your issue. It was mine for sure, for sure. In college, for sure. Uh, And uh, Father's been working on it ever since. Truth, anger, resentment, work. Verse 28, look at this real quick. He who steals must steal no longer, but he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Stealing was so common in the early church because a lot of the people that lived in the, were in the early church were slaves. And a slave could always justify stealing. 
because they were what? Well, they were slaves. <laughs> they didn't have freedom. So that's probably what was going on with Onesimus and Philemon. He was Philemon was his Christian owner. He stole from him, took off, met Paul in a prison in Rome, and uh, and Paul put the guilt trip on uh, on Philemon to forgive him. It was, it's a fascinating deal. But Onesimus probably stole. We can justify stealing all over the place, can't we? Because we live in such an entitlement society. I deserve this. I deserve it. I love it when my kids used to say that. I say, you deserve what? You, you, you deserve that I love you, and that's it. I'll feed you. But, but you, that sounds harsh. You know what I love about laying, laying it down with kids, raising kids in a Christian context, is that we get to teach them to become responsible adults who are not just here to get, but to give. And I'm so tickled that they're turning out decent, positive contributors. It's because they didn't get everything they wanted, partly because I was a pastor. <laughs> Work is good. Work is good. And if you can work, you ought to work. If you can't work, we ought to help. Like, like th- this ministry we talked about this morning, this is, this is an amazing thing. I love that. And I love that you guys are a part of that. Because these kids can't, as you said, they can't control the chaos that adults bring into their family. But, but we can teach them and love them and hopefully get them on a better path. Work is good. Maybe work is an issue for you. I don't know. At some way, you're struggling with it in some way. Uh, maybe it's a God. Maybe it's something you hate. There was a sign in an office that said, empty promises, calculated betrayal, sociopathic greed, just another Monday. <laughs> we live in a broken world, but we all got to work in it. And, and it's a positive thing that we are called to do our speech. This is convicting Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but that which is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Deliberate discipleship involves our speech, doesn't it? You can tell I have that memorized. Why? Because that was one I needed desperately at the very beginning of following Jesus. No no unwholesome, no corrupt uh, language come out because corrupt speech leads to a corrupt heart, mind. We pollute people's minds with some of the things we say. Have you been in a conversation with somebody and you say, oh man, I didn't need to hear that. Yeah, because people corrupt us too. And so it involves our speech. Maybe this is something that you're working on. Ask somebody close to you. Be careful, but maybe, maybe this is your issue of sanctification right now. Then the Holy Spirit, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That little line, sealed for the day of redemption, isn't that great? Isn't that a great line? That is so powerful. Once saved, always saved through faith in Christ. I'm sealed, you're sealed. Uh, And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. this is a tough one because that almost makes God, is God a crybaby? No, it's an anthropomorphism, isn't it? Which attributes human actions to God. We parents get grieved. All of us get grieved. And this is the kind, 
in some way, this is how I understand this statement, that, that the Holy Spirit is jealous for me. God is jealous for me. He wants the best for me, wants the best for you, right? You're his kids. And when we go deliberately down the broad path that leads to destruction rather than the narrow path, we grieve him in some way because he wants more. He wants better for us. Um, I think that's what he's talking about here. Maybe he's saying, have a more vibrant connection to the Holy Spirit as he leads you in all of the particular relationships and character of your life. Then the last one, here it is. Now, guys, frankly, this is for all of us. None of us uh, can get away without this one. Uh, All negative emotions and actions, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Malice is active ill will. Uh, that's, that's a challenging one. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. <sighs> Any blinking red lights for you? I've got a couple that I didn't come in here with uh, that I'm going to walk out of here thinking about. I love whoever said it, said God accepts us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. And so the life of walking in grace is allowing our hearts to be saturated with the love of God and and allowing it to energize us so much that we want to grow, that we want to be like Jesus. Not so that he will love you more. Can God love you any more than he loves you already right now in Christ? No. But as grace settles in, it energizes. It says, get out of that rut. Get out of that way. I don't know. This is grist for lunch today. You can have roast pastor. (laughs) Let grace sink in and then see where he's speaking to you. Okay? There it is. You take it to heart. And let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you develop us. Thank you that you're available to us 24-7, 365. Thank you. Thank you that you have a vision for our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done everything to, to take us out of what was, out of the darkness, out of untruth, and set us free to a new life. Thank you for the power that you are giving us every day to become like you. We give you honor and we give you praise as you take these good works that you have foreordained before the foundation of the world and you will energize them through us as we pray these things in your strong and holy name. Amen.